last year our pastor dotted it through his preaching quite regularly. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a verse that you'll know, but uh, towards the tail end of last year we found ourselves just in a, in a, in a random situation and that's where this uh, word was birthed in my heart. This verse very much come to my mind. If you have your Bible with you, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we'll, read the first, um, we'll read the first five verses. It's really verse 5 I want to uh, think on and, and speak maybe to, uh, to the situation that the church might be in and hopefully the individuals within the church. But we'll read a few verses. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 5. But know this in the last days that perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You know, let's just pray before we go any further. And you know, church isn't about spectating. Uh, it's not about sitting there and just taking all what's happening here. Ask God to speak to you tonight. Uh, the Bible says, I think it's in James, you know, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. So if you want God to speak to you tonight, Ask him to do that. Ask him just to, to speak to you as we open his word. Father, uh, we come to your word tonight and we're mindful that that's exactly what it is, Lord. It's your word. Uh, and I stand on the promises, Lord, that it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and touch my lips and take the words off this page, Lord, and make them of us, saith the Lord, uh, into this church and into lives uh, here tonight. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. My wife Pamela and I were over in England a couple of months ago without our daughter. And when we go for a, a few days on our own, we like to go shopping. We like to go out somewhere nice to eat, maybe go to the cinema. On this particular occasion, we were in the mighty city of Blackburn. Now, Blackburn wouldn't exactly be known as the, the retail capital of the UK. And yes, we did manage to get a few hours around the Trafford Centre. And yes, we went out for something to eat. But you know, right beside the hotel that we were staying in, right in the centre of Blackburn, there was this huge, big, magnificent cathedral. Maybe it's a sign of getting old and boring, I don't know. But we decided we'd go in and we'd have a, a look around and a walk around to see what was inside. And you know, I have to say, it was a really, really impressive building. It was. It was amazing. It, it was massive. And it was beautiful. And you know, I have to say it was so impressive and perhaps if you maybe come tonight from an Anglican background or Church of Ireland background, it wouldn't be so breathtaking if you're used to going into buildings or even cathedrals like that that you have like the ones here in Monaghan. But you know, I was really taken back by how grand this building was. Everything was so rich. Everything was so ornate. And you could be excused for thinking you'd walked into a palace. And you know, we were met by this wee man. He was sitting at a, at a table as you entered the main sanctuary of the building. And he was so keen to welcome us. And he was even more keen to give us leaflets and, and give us information about the history of this wonderful building. All around the, the front entrance there were billboards telling you the full story of when it was built. 
on when it was rebuilt and renovated. You could see the year it was built and who the architects were. You could read a list of all the names of the ministers and the bishops who had ministered there on all the positions that they held. And you see, if you're into your history, this kind of thing might be of interest to you. But you see, as a Christian, for me as a Christian, yes, I was struck by the grandeur and how impressive it all looked. But you see, what struck me more was that there was such little evidence and mention of God himself. You could read all about the ministers and the bishops, but where was the mention of Jesus Christ? You know what little reference there was to Jesus was nothing short of blasphemous and unbiblical. If we time, I'd like to go into that more tonight, but we don't. But you know, as I walked around this building, which was no doubt incredibly well designed and incredibly well built, I couldn't help but think of this Bible verse we have read tonight where it talks about having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. You know, it was so majestic. It was so full of relics and statues. It had nice fancy pulpits and perhaps what was the grandest communion table I've ever seen. Right in the center, situated on an altar that was probably as big as our church building up in Caledon. And you see, it was all so religious looking. Yet I couldn't help but think that all they had was a form of godliness. You know, as you look around this place, you couldn't help but be impressed. Yet it was the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 16 that also came to mind where he said this, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I say, folks, I think it's time that we remembered that again. That the church doesn't belong to, to this person or to that person. But the church belongs to and should all be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be about Jesus, for Jesus. And can I say, we should be seeking the hand of God on everything that goes on here in this place. You should be seeking the guiding hand of God. You know, we moved up to the big city of Coke just over two years ago. If you've never been to Coke, I wouldn't rush up to it. It's not that special, to be perfectly honest. But it's up outside Crookstown. And uh, we bought a wee bungalow that at the time we thought just needed a bit of decorating, maybe a bit of a a makeover. Little did we know it was going to turn into a full-scale renovation. Walls being knocked down and the walls that were left were tucked right back to the plaster. And many of them right retracted and wired. It was a complete gut-out job. And yes, it was hard work, but if you've ever done anything similar, either built a house or even done a bit of decorating, you know, it can be so rewarding. It's nice when it all comes together, and it's particularly nice when it gets to the final stages, like picking the paint and things like tiles and especially the furniture. I definitely know I'm old and boring, because to be honest, for some strange reason, even though we don't need any, I quite like walking around furniture shops. I can't explain it, that's just the stage of life that I'm at. But it's a nice stage to be at because beforehand it's all just bare walls and floors. But you see, when you get to that final stage, when you get to put your own touch on your own style and your own slant on things, that's the good part. And if you were to come to our house today, I hope you would see a house that has hard handprints all over it. I don't want to get into it, but there's certain tiles that has Pamela's handprints all over them more so than mine. But we'll not get into that. But I'd like to think we've done it up in such a way that it's fitting to the kind of people that we are, to the style that we like, and you would see our hand in the detail. That in our house, you would see our hand in the detail. 
And you see, no doubt the same could be said probably for all of us in regards to our house. But you see, what I want us to realize tonight is that when you come here, when you come here into God's house, it should be the exact same and we should see the hand of God on everything that goes on in this place. You see, understand, yes, you may call this place Monahanelam, but understand that above all, you are in the house of God tonight. You're in the house of God. Now, thankfully, he's neither limited to walls nor buildings. Praise God when you can experience that relationship and that closeness with him no matter where we are. But you know, I think it's good to realize that tonight we are in the house of God. I think of how Luke, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was just a young boy of 12, he described the temple as his father's house. That's what he called it, his father's house. In a sense, the temple was viewed how we so often view our churches and our church buildings today. It's where they came to pray and to worship and to read the scriptures. And so if that's how Jesus described the place where all of those things happened, I think we can use that same description and apply it to our places of worship today and say tonight in Monaghan you are in the Father's house as well. And so to go back to the point I'm trying to make, I believe that if we are in the Father's house, then we should see the hand of God on everything that goes on here in this place. We should long to see the hand of God on the worship. You should long to see the hand of God in the kids' work. You should long to see the hand of God on the prayers of his people, on the outreach, on the Facebook page, on those who lead around the table, and on the preaching of his word. You know, you are entering a new season. It's wonderful that Neil has took on the role of pastor in this church. You should be thankful for good leaders and for the elders. But you know, as these men handle the affairs of this fellowship and all that goes on, isn't it so important that they, and indeed every single person, no matter what you're involved in, are in the very hand of God and are led by the very hand of God? How we need his hand tonight, do we not? His hand, not man's hand. I was thinking about this, uh, what Neil spoke at, at our mission up in Caledon last October came back to me. We'll not take time to read it and he was going on a different slant but the passage that he looked at was Second Samuel chapter 6. And in that chapter we read of a man called Uzzah. You maybe know the story. He thought he needed to put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant to steady it on the cart. He thought he was doing the right thing sticking his hand into a situation but we know that God struck him dead where he stood. God struck him dead. And you know, we might think that's a bit harsh, but you see, what we need to realize is that here we see God does not need man's intervention, but how much man needs God's intervention. God doesn't need man's intervention, but man needs God's intervention. You see, as we've said already, it should be all about the hand of God in this place. And yes, we're thankful for good leaders that we have in our different fellowships. If you belong somewhere else, I trust you have good men as well. And we trust that they will lead us into God's will. It's so good to have fellowship with one another and maybe catch up after service. It's great to see lots going on, but you know, let's never forget that the purpose of meeting in this place is that people, and maybe even people like you tonight, might have a very special and real encounter with the living God. You know, we've mentioned the temple already, which was the first kind of church uh, back in the day, but you know, before it was built, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and no real place to call home, they worshipped and they sacrificed to God in the tabernacle. 
If you're not sure what the tabernacle is, it was this basically a large tent that God instructed them to build and to transport with them on their travel to the promised land. But we know it was far more than just a tent. In Exodus chapter 5, when he was given the instructions for it to be built, listen to what he said. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And folks, isn't that wonderful and isn't that a challenge? And in fact, wouldn't it be amazing if every church building fulfilled that purpose as laid out and explained here in these verses where God would come and dwell in the midst and have his way? That we wouldn't just experience, as we've read from his word tonight, this form of godliness, but the realness of God. That you tonight, if you're not saved, you would experience the real saving power of God. And not just experience, but that we would actually have an encounter. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but as we said, we're in the birthplace of Elam tonight. And that's actually what the word Elam kind of relates to and illustrates. Maybe you're from a different church tonight, but in Exodus chapter 15, you'll read how the Israelites were in a wilderness with nothing to eat. Nothing to drink, nothing, nowhere to get shelter. And in verse 27, it says that they came to a place called Elam. A place called Elam where there were 12 uh, wells and palm trees and they camped there by the waters. This place called Elam that provided uh, refreshment, rest and shelter when there was nothing or else around but dry, dead, barren wilderness. And you see, it's a challenge and it's encouragement, but that's the very reason the Elam movement took the name Elam. Because you see, it's what a church, and indeed it's what I pray this church would be in our world today and in the society in which we live. Do you see the the, the imagery? The land wasn't physically dry and barren. But from a spiritual perspective, the society and the world in which we live in today, it's so dead, it's so dry, it's so spiritually barren. And so what the church has got to do is to bring life into that situation. Real life, abundant life, and can I say most importantly of all, eternal life. And I want to declare this evening, just in case there's any confusion or doubt, I'm not for one minute saying that this life is found as it was in this Elam in Exodus, where there's some kind of secret or special oasis out in the back garden, no. But instead this eternal life, it is obtained and found when we see the blood of Jesus flowing down for us when he died for you and when he died for me on Calvary. It's not some magic well or oasis flowing up, but it's all about his blood that flowed down for each and every one of us. Oh, how this place should be an Elam in Monaghan. Oh, how this church should be a place, an Elam in a desert. Where it isn't simply about having this form of godliness, but that people would experience and encounter the power, refreshing, saving grace of God. So I wonder, are you in a a wilderness tonight yourself? Are you in a dry, barren, desert place? Folks, can I say the church isn't the answer? Christ's the answer. Christ is the answer. You know, getting back to the time we walked into that big cathedral, that time that wee man was sitting at that table who just loved telling us about the church and the building. You know, perhaps I have a confession to make because, you see, maybe if I realised it, I would have to admit that I'm maybe not that much different myself. 
And by that I mean he loved to tell us about the cathedral and everything that has went on and everything that goes on there. And you know, if I'm being honest, then maybe I'm a bit like the place that I fellowship up in Caledon as well. I don't hide the fact that I love the place. I love the people there. I love what's going on there. We've been going there seven or eight years and I dare say I love it more now than I ever have done before. I love the mix of people. The mix of backgrounds from which they come. I love to see new people, new families and even more children. I love how we stay around after service and, and there's great things going on. Neil has been part of it. We, we, we take the gospel into the village and I love to see it being proactive. And you know, I want to encourage you and say that God is doing some wonderful things up in Caledon at the minute. He really is. We're just starting, I was saying to Neil earlier, we're starting into a bit of a building work ourselves now. It's not going to be quite on the scale that you have here. But you know, it excites me what Jesus said. Because he said, I will build my church. I will build. Not built in past tense, but will build. Meaning that the work's not finished and he's going to do even more. And you know, that goes for everywhere today. That goes for every church. And I hope that excites you tonight. That he's going to do even more. I'm not trying to sound super holy when I say this, but you know, going to church is something I genuinely look forward to. Going to our fellowship isn't something I find a chore, but it's something I enjoy. But you see, that's the problem. That's why I say I'm not maybe unlike that man sitting at his table who has perhaps become more interested in telling people about his church than his God. Yes, it's good to have a passion and a zeal for God's work in God's house. It's good to have a desire to see a church grow if it's for the right reason. But could it be, and I speak to myself tonight, that we have nearly become more distracted, as it were, and have become more focused on the church rather than on Christ? Have we become more focused on the church than on Christ? See, if I'm honest, I find myself so often talking and telling people about the church and the different things that are happening at the church. And yes, we invite people along to our meetings that they could ultimately have that opportunity to accept Jesus as their own and personal saviour. But you know, if I'm being honest, then maybe I'm a bit guilty of promoting our church and our way of doing things than simply presenting Jesus and his way of salvation. You see, that's what it should be all about, isn't it? What did Jesus say when he gave us the Great Commission? Go into the world and talk about your church? No. Go into the world and, and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell people the great and glorious news of how he died a sacrificial death to pay for your sin and my sin. And I want to challenge and encourage you folk tonight here in Monaghan, but that's what it should be all about. It's got to be about presenting Jesus and letting people know about this God who loved them, the Savior who died for them, and this Holy Spirit who can live within us and help us to be that new creation we can be through the power of the cross and the resurrection. You know, it's wonderful to come into this building tonight. I've already heard people saying, I've never, I've only been here once before. And you know, people say how great the building is, and it is. But you know, rather than people say how great the building it is, wouldn't it be better tonight if people could see how great our God is? Instead of seeing this wonderful structure that you tonight might see a wonderful saviour. It's good when new people come along, isn't it? We like to see new faces. I don't know many people here tonight. I hope if, you, if you've come as a visitor, I hope 
you've got a good welcome in the name of the Lord. If you've started coming to this church or even another church, you know that's good. It's a good first step. Going to church is good, but can I say to you tonight, how much better and how much more important is it that you actually come to Jesus Christ himself? To lay it all down and to take that step and accept him as your own and personal saviour. That you wouldn't just come here or to wherever you go and experience another type of church or another type of service or another form of godliness. But tonight you would accept and experience salvation in your life. That you wouldn't just experience church. But that you would encounter the living God tonight. I said just a little earlier that God's hand should be on everything that goes on in our churches. Whether you belong here or, or, or somewhere else, it doesn't matter. And you know, I think, or at least I hope, that God is pleased with what you're seeking to do here in this place. If you come with sincere hearts, then I hope our worship is pleasing to him. I hope as you serve and you help out with the different things that it's, that's going on, I hope that pleases him again because it comes from a heart that loves him. As you maybe come around the table every week, it's an important way of keeping the gospel and the message of the cross right at the heart of the service, which again, I hope is pleasing to God. As you seek to teach the children and as Pastor Neil preaches faithfully every week, then I hope and I think that that has surely got to be pleasing to God. But you see, that's only what I think. That's only what we think. And you know, the reality is that we can't know for sure what God thinks of this place or any other fellowship or what goes on. But you know, I hope that he is pleased. I hope as he looks down on, on this place tonight that he would give it the thumbs up as it were. But you know, can I say that doesn't mean that we always get it right. We don't always get it right. And you know, he isn't always pleased with everything that goes on in his house. The reason I say that is because of the story we read in the New Testament. Where Jesus went into the temple and because of what was going on at the time, he actually overturned the tables. Imagine that. The lovely, long-haired, blue-eyed model that we picture Jesus to be. Who probably wouldn't hurt a fly, would go into the very house of God. And he would overturn the tables. But you see, he had what's described as a righteous anger because of what was going on. We know the story of those using the temple as a marketplace. They were trading and they were trading dishonestly. They were buying and selling. And this is what angered Jesus. Because it's not what the house of God should be used for. And in a way it's immaterial as to what those in the temple were actually doing. But the point we need to realize is that here in this passage, God isn't pleased with everything in the church. Or everything that goes on. I hope that if Jesus was to walk through those doors. That he wouldn't be so annoyed that he would feel the need to wreck the place. I hope he wouldn't feel the need to overturn the tables and chairs. I think as Jesus spoke about his, his death and resurrection. He says that he would destroy and rebuild the temple within three days. Up in Caledon we were doing a bit of work. I kind of would like Jesus to come in and do that. If he could come in and do it in three days it would be wonderful. But you know, that's what he'd done in this place. He overturned the tables because he wasn't happy with what was going on. He's seen that there needed to be change. And I just wonder if he literally came into this building and into the middle of this assembly or whatever assembly you belong to, what would he change? What would he change? 
You see, it's a good question to ask. It can be quite challenging to us if we look at ourselves not with those rose-tinted glasses that we do sometimes. But in light of God's word and in light of the way that God sees us, what would he change? Would he want us to have greater vision? Would he want different people to be more involved? Would he want more people in the prayer meetings? Would it be, as we've been thinking tonight, that instead of simply having this form of godliness, this form of religion, would it be that he'd want you to have the real thing tonight? See, maybe you can think of some other things that Jesus might need to, to change. But you know, as I was thinking about this a little further, and extend it beyond the, the local fellowship, then there is actually something I reckon Jesus would definitely like to change within the church as a whole. You see, we maybe take us a bit for granted, but there are actually many good churches up and down our land. You know, we're up from the north of the border. I don't know what you call it. I'm going to call it Northern Ireland. I don't know what you talk about up north, but whatever. But that's up north. In Northern Ireland, you know, I recall hearing the statistic that it's, it's in one of the countries that has the most evangelical churches per square mile than any other country in the world. Even other countries within the UK. I think it was Billy Graham that said out of every country in the world that he wouldn't want to go to hell from it would be Northern Ireland due to the fact that there is a good evangelical church in every town and in some instances on every street in every town. And he's right. We have good churches up and down the length of this island from every denomination. Churches that are God-honoring and I'm sure are God-pleasing. But can I say with respect, and I include this fellowship, and I include Caledon Elam as well, but you know what? Maybe if Jesus came into our individual fellowships, he wouldn't necessarily come inside and start turning things upside down, but maybe he would go outside and tear down the signs and the billboards that are plastered with labels and denominations. There's something to think about. Now for those churches that have watered down the gospel, that have perverted the gospel, for churches that carry out ordinances and sacraments differently as taught in scripture. Maybe he does need to go in and make a few changes. But you know for those churches that are preaching his word. Standing on his word and preaching Christ crucified. Maybe what he'd like to do is take the labels down from over the doors. I've said tonight we're in the heart, the, the birthplace of Elam. I go to an Elam church myself and I stand firmly on the four square gospel I think it's a wonderful basis to take our doctrine from. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying denominations are wrong, but what's dangerous is when they become the focus rather than Jesus Christ. When we're trying to build a, a, a church and a denomination rather than building his kingdom. You see, tonight we're considering what it means to have this form of godliness. Can I say maybe with all the different denominations that we have, we're maybe more guilty of promoting our form or our version of Christianity. And you know, I understand why these different denominations exist. The Bible's infallible, we are fallible. God's word is true, but our understanding of it can be different. And I'm not talking about fundamental truths and key cornerstones of our faith. Things like being saved by grace, by his blood and being born again, those things aren't up for discussion. But you know, sometimes we can have slightly different views on things that maybe could be described perhaps as secondary issues. Beliefs and doctrines that aren't salvation issues. 
And what can so easily happen, and in fact, what has happened is those secondary issues, they have nearly taken over from what the church should be really all about. They have become for so many nearly more important than the gospel itself. And can I say to you here, whether you belong here tonight or to somewhere else, Christians, I'm speaking to the church tonight, we need to do away with that kind of mentality. This one concept of one church thinking they're better than the other. Do you know what? The enemy's having a field day in the church of God. Tearing it apart. I understand, yes, where there's false teaching. It needs to be challenged. It needs to be corrected. I'm not for one minute saying we should be part of some kind of ecumenical movement where anyone who claims the name of Christ we should be fellowshipping with. No. But you know, regardless of what church or label they come under, if they're reformed in their theology, if they believe that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can I say to the church, it's maybe time that we lay these secondary issues aside and simply rallied around the cross of Jesus. That instead of promoting our churches, we are promoting Christ. That rather than being focused on, on our labels, we'd be focused on the Lord. You see, it doesn't matter what we sing or what we wear. As long as we're clothed in, in his righteousness, washed in his blood, and we worship him in spirit and in truth, is that not more, far more important? You see, folks, tonight it's not about coming to a church. Tonight it's about coming to him. You're not safe tonight. I say this with respect. You might as well sit on a swing in a park rather than sitting on a pew in a church if you don't actually come to him and put your faith in him tonight. It's got to be about him. Not this form of godliness, but a real relationship with God. In closing, I have a confession to make. And that is that, yes, this verse is what came to my mind as we walked through that cathedral. But I've done something a preacher shouldn't do and I've took it out of context. Because I've taken it and I've applied it to a, to a, a, a church and a, and a corporate body of people and, and maybe how we do things. But you know, the reality is this passage isn't about a collective body. It's to the individual. It's to the individual tonight. And so as we finish, I want to ask you a very simple question. And that is, what do you have tonight? Are you saved tonight? Are you born again? Are you truly on fire for God? And do you love God and are you serving God in your daily life? Are you living for him? Do you love him more than anything else? Is all you have tonight a form of godliness? Oh, we're wonderful at playing church, aren't we? Well, I'll tell you, we can play church really well. In the children today, about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying, he knows what we're really like. relationship well, as I said I don't know anybody here tonight really it's good to see you it's good to see you coming here you came to Jesus unsaved person will you come to Jesus tonight Christian tonight 
to him and just say, it's not about a playing church, it's not about a form of godliness, but will you give him your all? You can come in and we can get the card stamped. But I wonder tonight, would you have the Holy Spirit stamped on your life that would change you tonight? Tonight, would you, would you be brave enough to step out and say, you know, I, I'm tired, I've just been going through the, the routine and, and the religious ritual. What will it be tonight? Real thing. Form of godliness.